Welcome to the Mana Bible Lessons Podcast. Mana is a Bible study life group that meets at Valley Baptist Church in Bakersfield, California, every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. However, if you're listening from another part of the world, then we welcome you and we invite you to stay tuned after the lesson to hear how you can submit your prayer request to be on our prayer sheet. Thank you for joining us. And now... My desire for today's lesson was really to scratch an itch. It was something I've been considering for years and really decades. So before we begin, notice that there's two kinds of teaching. Expository, which Pastor Roger and Brad use all the time. It's going through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, or topical. Today's lesson is topical. That means it's going to be about one certain thing, but we've got to be careful with topical lessons because topical lessons are often how error is entered into. So it's way too easy to take verses out of context. So here's my itch. My hypothesis for this lesson was, does God test us with respects to issues that are then resolved and even rewarded in heaven? That was the, the itch that I had. I've been thinking about this for decades. I noticed growing up that my hands didn't have good claws and my teeth were not effective and that I was slow. I was nothing like the animals who are ready to live on the earth exactly as they are. So therefore, I realized we needed, we needed things in a way that animals didn't. That was one of the first things I noticed. In fact, there were really four areas in our lives that I thought we were tested on that then, ironically, get rewarded in heaven. And the, the four are food, sex, power, and things slash money. That was my hypothesis, and that's what I was going to teach on. Those four things are pretty much my four favorite things, by the way. <laughs> Depends on your age, Stuart. The inspiration for this hypothesis that I had was really, does God prepare mansions for us? You know, the, the Bible verse said he prepared, prepared mansions for us. And I thought, wow, God prepares mansions so he knows we need things. And ironically, we struggle with that sometimes here on earth with getting the physical necessities. And it's rewarded in heaven. That was my hypothesis. The first thing I learned in the study here was that God is not preparing mansions for us. What? Here's the thing. When you actually look at the scripture, the word mansions... Was, is better translated, many rooms. Back in the King James Version days, they went with mansions. And then you know what happened after that? People wrote songs about it. And so the first lesson we have today is not even a lesson, we're still in introduction, it is that don't be deceived by hymn book theology. I was completely wrong. Mansions doesn't mean physical edifices. It doesn't even really mean many rooms, although that's a better translation. What it really means in the Aramaic and the Hebrew culture at the time was that we dwell together. The idea wasn't so much the edifice, it was that there's dwelling together. So my whole premise for this lesson is completely shot right out the gate. I was completely wrong, so I'm sharing with you the first lesson. Do not be fooled by hymn book theology. Go deeper and make sure that we understand what it is that we're talking about. Otherwise, I'd have come out here and been very embarrassed. We don't want that. But I was intrigued. Does God test us? That's the question. So 
So with that, first we need to define some words. Yes. First we're going to define some words. Word definitions are super important. Just like I misunderstood the word mansion, defining words is critical. In fact, here's an example of that before we get into testing. The example is envy versus jealousy. Have you ever thought about those two words? Envy and jealousy. The error is we often use those as if they were, if they were the same term. They're completely different. For, jealousy is a trait of God. Envy is a trait of Satan. It can't be more diametrically opposed than that. They're completely different. Here's the definitions. Jealousy is wanting what's yours. Jealousy is wanting what's yours. So God is a jealous God. What does he want from us? What's his? What's his? Our worship, our adoration. That's what's his, and he wants it. If you're married this morning, you have every right to your spouse's fidelity. That's not jealousy. Well, it's jealousy, it's, but it, jealousy is good. You have the rights to your spouse's fidelity. It's envy that's bad. Envy is wanting what's another's. It's wanting what's another's. So they're completely different. We use them interchangeably, and that's completely wrong. Jealousy is wanting what's yours, and envy is wanting what's another's. So the word definitions are super critical. We, i got to tell you, that definition came to me from, from our son Austin when he was just a little kid. He goes, Dad, God's a jealous God. I thought jealousy is bad. And then we went from there. And actually, Austin gave me those definitions when he was about that, that tall. Well, let's define testing versus... Temptation. This morning we're talking about testing, and we're not talking about temptation. They're just as different from each other as jealousy is from envy. They're completely different. Testing is an exercise that draws us closer into fellowship with God. Temptation is an exercise that draws us away from God. And that's really what everything in life is about. We're either getting closer to God or we're being drawn away from God, temptation draws us away from God. We know that God tests us, so I'm already answering the question, does God test us? No, class is not over. <laughs> the Lord your God proves you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. That's actually an Old Testament uh, statement that's often quoted in the New Testament. So right in the midst of the law, that's the purpose. Now. Just like there's no, the word mansions made no sense in the King James, there is no word test in the King James Bible. They didn't use the word back then. So now we understand there's a cultural difference and a word difference in how words are used. And so in the King James, they did not know the word test. They used the word prove. I think Brad mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Prove is a metallurgical word. What it means is that things are discovered and refined through a process. And in that sense, they are proven what they are. So the real word is prove. Prove and test, we can use interchangeably. Well, we know about temptation. The Bible tells us clearly that God does not tempt anybody. He will never tempt you. He never tempts you. That's Satan's job. But he does do this. If you are tempted, you don't have to succumb. There's no really reason for us to have to succumb to temptation. Um, God does test us. I got a question for you this morning. Do you, do you feel tested? It's okay to say that if you are, you've tested. You feel tested? If you have children. <laughs> you have children. Yeah, absolutely feel tested. So, but class is not over. This is manna. So we're going to go deeper. We've already established God tests us. 
I have time. I have slides. We can use them. We're not done. Here's a question for you. Does God cause or allow bad things that test us? Does God cause them or does he allow them to test us? That's right. You look through the scriptures high and low, I could not find a single reference, theologians couldn't find a single reference that says that God caused bad things that test us. He doesn't cause them. There are many references in the Bible, I mean many, that say that God caused bad things as punishment for sin. So God causes those frequently throughout. As a matter of fact, we've been studying uh, 2 Samuel with Brad. Well, the question is, um, did David suffer punishment at the hand of God for his sins? You have to get this right, otherwise I'm going to tell Brad. <laughs> many, many ways. I mean, his whole family experience was a complete disaster. And furthermore, it says that God caused it. He caused it. So he didn't cause it for David's testing. He caused it for David's punishment of sins. And David, David definitely paid a high price for that. So, but God does allow bad things. We have, matter of fact, the very first book written in the Bible was Job. And we know all about Job. Job had bad things happen to him, and God allowed them. He did not cause them, but he certainly did allow them. And so Job was tested, and that was the very, very first book in the Bible. So Paul said as a condition of his bringing the gospel forward, he first had to be proved by God, approved and proved by God. So Paul realized that he was tested by God, and that was so that he could bring glory to God through bringing us the word forward. So we've got a lesson here. This is the first lesson for the day. Lesson. Whether God caused bad things as punishment or allowed bad things as a test, both are designed to bring us closer to God. And that tells you a lot about the nature of God. That tells you a lot about why we're still here on earth. Whether it was for our punishment, that can bring us back, or whether it be for tests, then they are both designed to bring us closer to God. And that's the most important lesson today. <laughs> Wait, are there bad things? Are there really any bad things? We have prayer requests every week. They sound like bad things to me. They do sound like bad things. So are there any bad things is the question. Isaiah 45, 7. God is sovereign, omniscient, omnipotent, and God causes disaster and he causes prosperity. So everything is coming from God. That's hint number one. Let's go with hint number two, Romans 9.20. That's Paul actually quoting the prophet Isaiah. He's saying, who are we to question God? We have no right to question God. We're the clay. He's the potter. The clay is a base element. It's a simple material. That's what we are. We're a base element. We're a simple material. We actually have no right to challenge God. Okay, Isaiah 55.9. We don't really always believe that our thoughts are, in fact, not as high as God's thoughts. We sometimes think we should be in charge. It's the fundamental nature and test of man, is that we think we're in charge. Do we actually believe that verse? It's easier said than done. Romans 8, 28. 
We can all quote that verse. I learned that verse when I was a little kid. We know that all things, well, all things work together for good. That's easy to say. All things work together for good. So we just went through a hierarchy of verses here that say this. Drum roll. Lesson. Bad things are from the perspective of fallen humans, not from the Creator. There should be some boos and hisses. Somebody should probably walk out. <laughs> because we know we have bad things in our life, don't we? It sure feels like it. So testing, is it bad? Are there any bad things? Does, do all things work together for good? For the believer, do all things really? I can think of a lot of bad things. We have bad things in man every week. Do all things? When I was 15 years old, my brother was assassinated in the, in the Navy. He's in Arlington National Cemetery today. You would think after 37 years, I would now have clarity on why my brother was assassinated when he was 25. I have absolutely no idea why my brother was assassinated at 25. I've been deprived of a relationship with him. I was just a little kid. He was 10 years my senior. I barely knew him in reality. I do not know. Will I know someday? I'll see him in heaven. The morning he was killed, he was just like me today. He was going to be a substitute teacher in a class in Washington, D.C. He didn't show up. I'm really glad to show up, even if we didn't have the quiet equipment this morning. <laughs> kind of glad to be here. Bad things, though, are from our perspective. And we're fallen. They're not from the Creator. How many of you have Proverbs 3, 5, and 7 as a life verse or one of your life verses? There's a tremendous amount of wisdom and theology packed into those couple of verses. These pa that passage addresses, one, who God is. It tells us who God is. Two, it underscores the condition of man that we find ourselves in even this morning. We all know these verses, but do we actually act? on all those verses. Have you ever not acted on those verses? Just get your hand up there and don't be a liar. You ever not act? Yeah. You, you, some, we've all wandered into having crooked paths. We wandered off that verse. Even if we're saved, we had crooked paths. Every one of us have. The lesson is sometimes the hardest thing. We want to understand. I like knowing how things work. We want to understand. We think we must understand. But the lesson is that understanding is not a condition for obedience. <sighs> yeah, that's what that verse says. Don't lean on your own understanding. You have an opinion. You think certain things. You might think mansions are physical buildings in heaven. But don't lean on your own understanding. Because what really our life is about is obedience. And that's the counter to a test. Understanding is never a condition for obedience. Weren't we tested from the very beginning? Is this condition new to man? If you feel like your whole life has been a series of tests, you are right. And it was so from the very beginning. God gave us the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden from the very beginning. Have you been like me and asked yourself, why did he put that doggone tree in the garden? It was perfect. Everything was fine, and that tree was sitting right there, and he did it on purpose. We're going to explore that thought. He said, I'd put it there on purpose. 
going back to my original thoughts for today, God gave man from creation everything that was necessary. I'm going to go to my favorite book in the Bible, Genesis. Genesis 1.29. Genesis 1.29 says this. We all know about creation. And God says, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit and seed in it. They will be yours for food. So the first thing was is God provided for us food from the very beginning in the garden. That's the first trait he gave us food. And 128, he gives us something else. He says in Genesis 128, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase the numbers, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So we had dominion. So that's the second thing we had was we had authority and power. It came right from God. We have dominion over this earth. The third thing is in uh, Genesis 2, uh, 20 through 25, he gave us uh, Eve. And with that, he gave us sex. And I'm, I'm fine with that. Hey, God said it was good. <laughs> so we have Eve. He gave us the ability to procreate on this earth. He gave us something else in uh, 2, 8 through 9, answered my question from before. 2, 8 through 9. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the, in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for fruit. In the middle of the garden was a tree of knowledge of good and evil. So God provided for us. He gave us everything we needed. So God gave us the food. He gave us the power through authority. He gave us reproductive rights with that sex. And then he gave us provision for things. So God gave all that to us. Yes, those are my favorite things. And that's the ones we th I thought originally that God was testing us against. But I was wrong. Here's the interesting thing. After the creation, God said it was very good. And immediately thereafter, no sooner than he provided every need that Adam and Eve could possibly have needed, Eve doubted God. Right away. It didn't seem to take very long. Do we doubt God after he supplied our every need? When I was young, I used to worry about how could I get to be middle class? I, didn't, I couldn't understand how that could possibly be. I really wanted to, to achieve something to be middle class. And really, one of the great trials of my life was, will God really provide all my needs? Will he really do that? Uh, and he did. If I knew then what I know now, I would have saved myself an awful lot of anxiety, a lot of worry, completely unnecessary. God did provide my every need, and yet I may have doubted him pretty much a whole life. That might have given God trouble, but it sure gave me a lot of trouble as well. After they met every need, what happened then was man fell. Man fell. The fall of man is the third point in three points that outline God's entire word for us. The whole Bible is under the umbrella of only three points. This covers everything. Number one, there is a God. He is the creator. He's the savior. Number two, there's a creation. You see it every day. You can't help but see it. It's everywhere you look. And the third point is all about the fall of man. That's really everything you need to know. I was talking to Tom Cresswell earlier, and I told him, Crystal helped me type some of this for me at the last minute, and uh, she titled it Stone Cold Simple. <laughs> That's what she wrote here. 
And so it is. I am, in fact, stone cold simple. I really am that simple. Everything you need to know in life is found in those three points. Isn't it ridiculous, really, for me to say that everything in life is covered in those three points? Well, I really couldn't think of anything else. Let me tell you, God exists. That's the most important thing. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, without beginning or end. He is the great I Am, the everlasting Father. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of His glory. He is great and worthy of our worship, not because of the creation or His love for us, but because of who He is. That's who God is. Number two, He's the creator. He's the creator of all that we know and all that we don't know. You can't look anywhere and not see his creation. We exist because he made us. We know he exists because he made us in his image. He made man to give him glory, and we at best reflect his glory. He created us in his image so that we could have a relationship with him. He gave us the whole world and everything in it. We have dominion over the whole earth because the creator gave us that authority. So that's creation. Number three, man fell. God tested us with the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Even though he gave us all that we needed, we still wanted to have the knowledge before we would obey. God knew we would do this, and so from the very beginning, he planned that curse. And, but in that curse, he already planned our redemption. The entire rest of the Bible, after Genesis chapter 3, reflects the effects of the curse and the working out of redemption. Even Revelation is under the curse because Revelation is about redemption. Those are the three points that I think covers the entire Bible. If you're witnessing to an unbeliever, you can use those three points. It's as simple as that. God exists. It takes more faith to believe that he's not the creator than to believe he is the creator. I've used that many, many times. So I can't think of any reason why those three points don't cover it. Isn't it ridiculous to think that? However, simple is not easy. I am not suggesting the simplicity of that outline makes it easy. It is not easy. And not for one minute am I chastising you or me about the test that we are enduring and the difficulty that that brings to us, because it is difficult. Why else would have been almost all the chapters except for the first three in the Bible all about that, the fall of man and our redemption? The fall is why everything on this earth seems backwards and inverted. Does this world seem to you that everything is backwards and inverted? Am I the only one who thinks nothing seems to make sense? It's okay for us to abort babies. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. We can go on and on about the things in this world that seem to me to be backwards inverted. If you do believe things on this earth are backwards, praise God. That means you're a redeemed believer. You see, God's authority was ordered in creation. It started with God. God is the authority. It went from God to Adam. And then Adam had a helper, Eve, and then finally the creatures and all below that, the plants. So that's the order of God's authority. If you thought about Satan's temptation, what did Satan do? Big shock. He reversed the order. Satan literally reversed the order. The creature, Satan, and, and, uh, came into a serpent. That wasn't weird back then. Satan came into a serpent, so the creature was the authority. The creature then spoke to who? Adam? No, he spoke to Eve. He spoke to Eve. And then Eve spoke to Adam. And then finally, Adam spoke to God. When God came in the garden, who did he look for? The creature? No. Eve? No. Adam. Why? 
because God honors his own authority structure. God honored his authority structure. So the reason everything seems backwards and inverted is because it is. It's interesting. That's all found in Genesis 3, 9 through 14, the fall of man. Here's a key point. The world we live in today makes no sense to unbelievers because they are, it does make sense to unbelievers because they are of the world. It makes perfect sense. They're at home. They're where they should be. It makes no sense to believers because they are in the world and not of the world. If you feel out of step this morning, if you feel like the world's against you, praise God. If it's not, that means you're of the world. Here's a lesson for us then. The world may be your location, but it is not the source of your truth. We're bombarded by all kinds of media messages, TV messages, movies, conversations. Everywhere we go, we're bombarded with a message. That message is from the world. It doesn't make a lick of sense to me half of the stuff they say because your location may be here, but your location is not the source of your truth. The source of your truth is Jesus Christ himself. Here's something interesting. God wants the same things for you and I today as he wanted in the Garden of Eden. It's not any different. God's hierarchy in the Garden of Eden was Adam, Eve, and his creation. What God requires of us is the same as it always was. I am simple. I admit it. But look how simple the instructions are. People say, how can I possibly give glory to God? It's too difficult for me. What could I possibly do? Uh, try obedience. It's this simple. If you're a man, you're going to exercise dominion over the earth. What does that mean? That means that you're going to be in charge of this creation. You're going to withdraw from this creation all the things that you need to survive in this earth because God put it here for you. And while it's his, he gave us the authority over that. Eve, you're going to be with Adam, fruitful and multiply. Isn't that exactly the opposite of what you hear in our society? Don't they tell us the globe is overpopulated? That's 180 degrees opposite of what God said. He said, go populate the earth. I made it for you. I want people. I love people. Make more of them. And then the creatures and the condition finally is that that is our supply. God supplied us with the entire earth. If you look at the fall, and we'll go through it quickly, it all comes backwards. So when God discovered the sin, he spoke first to Adam, then to Eve, finally the serpent. But then when he came back with the curse, which is the condition that we find ourselves in, which is the manifestation of the test that we go forward first, he cursed the serpent first. He inverted the pyramid as he gave his curses. First he cursed the serpent and he said, you're going to crawl on your belly, Mr. Serpent. And uh, because of that, you're cursed. Interesting. Why was the serpent first? The serpent was first because out of the curse to the creation, the serpent, he gave us the plan of redemption. Remember, it says that the serpent is going to be crushed by the heel of the offspring of woman. That was Jesus Christ. That was planned from before the foundations of the earth. That tree was in the garden on purpose. He knew we were going to fall before we even fell. That's what omniscience is. He knows everything. He already planned for salvation. He's not going to physically step on the head of a snake, he's going to step on the head of Satan who embodied that snake. So that was the first curse. The second curse was to women. Women, I think you already know this better than I do. There's going to be pain in childbirth. Megan, pay no attention. I do want grandkids someday. (laughs) 
worse than that, ladies, you have a different relationship with the man than God intended in the Garden of Eden. The man's going to rule over you. That's not popular to say. That does not fit in our culture, but that's what's going to happen. You know what is going to fit in the culture? This makes all the sense in the world once you realize what it says. It says that the woman's desire will be to her husband. Back when I was still misunderstanding words in the Bible, I thought, cool, the woman's going to desire me. I like that. That's not what it means. Her desire is going to be to rule over her husband. God put her in an order below an authority or be her husband, and yet women don't like that. I've been told. <laughs> they want to be in charge. Do you see any of that in our society today? It's not God's order. So that was the curse, ladies. You're cursed twice. You have the pain in childbirth, but you also have that little problem with your husband ruling over you, and you don't like it. Adam, you didn't do a whole lot better. Uh, the land and the plants were cursed. Remember, God provided everything perfectly for us, so God's provision are supplied only with toil. If you think your life is hard this morning, if you think getting a paycheck is hard, I sometimes wonder, I had a hard week at work, I thought, my goodness, why don't they just give me that money? Because that's not what the scripture says. It is with toil that you're going to get everything that you need from this earth. That's a curse. It didn't used to be like that. Oh, yeah, one other thing, Adam. It says you're going to physically die. And worse yet, so will your wife. You know, I think most men feel like I do. Every man pretty much wants to die before his wife. That's how us men think. Let me go first, God, please. You will physically die. Did that happen right away? Can you imagine right now, Eve is sowing fig leaves real quick. My gosh, didn't you realize we're not dead? We're not dead. Not that they knew what that meant. What's the takeaway mini lesson on that one? Does God pay back sin right away? No. You see, God's timeline is not our timeline. God's timeline is not ours. Our perspective is too short. We're too short with our perspective. So that was the curse that we had. But here's the thing. God did not fundamentally change the rules. It just got much worse and much more difficult. After the fall, the deal got worse for everyone and everything, including the plants and the animals. Here's the bad news. Man's disobedience made it impossible to fulfill God's design and creation. Our disobedience ruined all that. Genesis 4 through Revelation tells us all about that. And then everything after that is about the way of redemption. You see, God cannot fellowship with unholy man because God is holy. What does redemption look like? Honestly, I'm just full of mistakes today. I used to think that we're going to get back to Eden, which I liked. I'm in my garden. I like gardening. I'm with my wife naked in the garden. That's even better. <laughs> it's even better than that. It turns out that redemption looks like this. I've got a chart up here that shows you Eden, and it shows you heaven. Did you know that heaven is much more superior than it is Eden? On Eden, we have unfallen mankind, but we have redeemed mankind. He didn't make us redeemed. He made us better. We're going to be like him. There was a marriage between Ab and Eve. We're going to be, marriaged. We're going to be married to Christ as the bride of Christ. On Eden, God would visit. There's no mansions. Instead, in heaven, God dwells with us. He's with us all the time. 
Man reflects God's image in Eden. However, man is conformed to Christ's image in heaven. It's completely better and completely different. Satan is present in Eden. He's not present in heaven. He's banished forever to lake of fire. He's bound. He'll never be there ever again. There's a threat of a curse in Eden. There is no threat of curse. There's no more curse. There's no crying. There's no tears. There's no sickness. There is no curse whatsoever in heaven. On earth, there was an earthly light given to us by God's creation, the sun, but God himself is the light in glory. There will be day and night on earth, which we know well. Do you know that in heaven, there is no more night. It's gone. Worship is completely unmentioned in Eden. God came down and occasionally walked. However, worship is unceasing. If you don't like worship this morning, you're in trouble, because in heaven, worship is unceasing. What did God say on the sixth day when he rested? He said, my creation is very good. Well, what is it in heaven? It's perfect. It's perfect this morning. Well, but why the testing? The purpose of testing is to bring glory to God. The whole purpose of man was to bring glory to God, and we did it better, hard to understand, we did it better after we fell. We're better redeemed than we were at creation. We're better now. The purpose of man is just to bring glory to God. Before Tom comes, uh, we have more testing. <laughs> God put the tree of knowledge to test us, and then God planned for man's redemption from the very beginning. We're not an afterthought. We weren't plan B like we were this morning with the technology. Uh, because of the fall, a redemption, God is glorified, and man is prepared to dwell with God for eternity. Lesson. Because of God's testing, the redeemed are going somewhere better than Eden. Where you're going this morning is not Eden. It is better than Eden. Tom's going to come. We have some lessons to go through. Re review what we've learned this morning. Number one, whether God caused bad things as punishment or allowed bad things as a test, both are designed to bring you closer to God. When we pray for our prayer requests this morning, consider that, how those things might draw you closer to God. Somehow or another, this technology not working this morning made me have to trust God and Austin and Chris, to bring <laughs> this lesson this morning. It was even better. I felt better about it because they were able to pull it off. Number two, bad things in your life are from the perspective of fallen humans, not from the Creator. That was easier for me to say than for us to believe. Number three, understanding is not a condition of obedience. We don't have to understand it all. You're not going to understand it all. It's a it's an infinite God talking to a very finite man. So understanding is never a condition. Note this morning that the world is not your location. The world is your location. It is not a source of your truth. It is not. Do not look to the world for your source of truth. It will be unfulfilling. You know, how many times do you read something about a person with fame and fortune and they commit suicide? Or somebody who has everything material that you could ever imagine, wealthy, wealthy people, and they go on to have kids that are drug-addled. How many times do you hear that? It's because... The world is the location, but it's not the source of truth. And finally, this morning, last of all, because of God's testing, the redeemed are going somewhere, and where we're going is so much better than Eden. Manna meets at Valley Baptist Church at 4800 Fruitvale Avenue in Bakersfield, California, every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. in the choir room. We would love for you to join us. Here at Manna, we believe in doing life together. 
So if you're in need of prayer, submit your request to manabiblepodcast at gmail.com and our class will be happy to pray for you. Thank you for joining us today. And now that you know, do.